if you have a Bible or if you've got an app on your smartphone, go ahead and open it up to Matthew chapter 7. Now, as you're opening, know that what I'm going to do this week is I'm going to set my music stand right over top of this plug so that I can keep you guys from having to be distracted like my wife was last week as she was afraid that I was going to trip over the plug to Daniel's pedal, okay? So now I've blocked it and I can't trip over it. Um, When I first got here, I used to hang my feet off the edge of the the stage a lot and that used to make people nervous. So I've gotten better about backing off of that some. Um, And I think both of my shoes are tied so you don't even have to check that. That's okay. As we're looking at God's word though, you you and I have been looking... (laughs) As we've been looking through this, though, guys, um, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount for quite some time, and we've been seeing God's standard for us as kingdom citizens. We've been looking at him teaching us what it's like to be able to follow him, to honor him, to walk with him. And I don't know about you, but have you ever had a feeling about this or about something else that what's going on is more than you can handle? You guys ever felt like somebody's laid expectations on you that were more than you could live up to? Um, Some of you guys, you're hitting that point of the semester where you're looking at what's left and how many weeks you have, and you're figuring out the math of, you know, I only have to read about 1,600 pages a day, and if I can write about three papers an hour, I should be able to finish in time. You guys have that feeling? Um, Or you're at work, and your boss brings up something, and you've already got so many plates spinning, and they're like, hey, by the way, I need you to put all those things on hold, and I need this done by tomorrow afternoon, okay? You good with that? Sure, great. Thanks. Bye right? And you're sitting there and you're freaking out because it feels like you've got more on you than you could possibly imagine. You guys ever been there? Okay, good. That may be how you're feeling at the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, we have raised the bar over and over again. As Jesus has explained for us what we're supposed to do, we're supposed to be living these incredibly righteous lives where we're trying to honor God in everything. We've looked at issues like lust. We've looked at how we fast, how we give, uh, how we're supposed to deal with anger. We've looked at prayerlessness, our, our desire to do stuff for others to see it. We've looked at the love of money. We've looked at worry. Last week, we looked at judgmentalism and judging others. And as we've seen, Jesus has constantly raised the standard higher and higher and made it more and more difficult. Doesn't it seem like that? I mean, I can't do all of this. I don't know about you. Am I the only one who feels that way? All right, good. Y'all are tired this morning. It's okay. I am too. Um, And we're going to make it, all right? As we're diving in here this morning, here's what I'm hoping you'll see. As we look at the passage that God's giving us, what we're going to find is that God is not your boss in that he's not going to pile more on you than you're able to do. God's not your professor who's leveling unrealistic expectations for you before the end of the semester. In fact, what we see this morning is that God is incredibly generous to give us everything that we need to be able to follow him. That's going to be one of the key ideas as we're looking here in Matthew chapter 7. We're picking up in verse 7. We've only got a handful more messages before we wrap up our study on the Sermon on the Mount. And as we're going through this, you're going to see Jesus is starting to pick back up some of the themes that we've looked at already through the sermon, and he's going to kind of cycle them back through for us to kind of wrap things together because he does a really great job with that. He's weaving these different themes back in, and having taught us so much about life in the kingdom, he's driving home these key ideas and these concepts that we need to take hold of. This is the concept that I want you to take away from here this morning. God's kingdom is marked by generosity, okay? 
God's kingdom is marked by generosity. Now, when we think generosity, we immediately start thinking about our pocketbook or our wallet, right? We think generosity in the term of giving people money. And it is true that God does provide us with what we need. But at the same time, let's expand that idea out to being beyond just money and stuff. But it's God generously supplying everything that we need so that if I, oh, I have everything that he could possibly require me to have for me to be able to, to follow him, to honor him, to live like he's my Lord, my leader, my boss, and he's going to tell us that as we do this, here's, as we're going through, to have everything we need, all we need to do is ask, seek, and knock. Ask, seek, and knock. Now, we're going to try to break this out a little bit because what we're going to see is not only does God give us generously everything that we need to be able to follow him, we're also going to see then that the expectation is that we're going to do the same for other people. That just like God calls us to follow him and he models generosity for us, he expects us to live with that same kind of compassionate, gracious generosity, not just giving money, but giving time, giving patience when we want to snap at people, right? Giving back to others just like God has given to us. Let's try to make that make sense. Let's dive through and read through this text, all right? Starting in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you've been so generous to us. And as we look at just how incredible that is, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and captivate us again with that truth. For your name and your glory, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we're diving into this, the first thing that I want you to see is that God is generous with us. God is generous towards us. So as you're looking, we see this incredible promise that God gives us. Look back at verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks, find. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, at first glance, that may not catch you by surprise because we've, if you've been in church for a while, you may be used to this idea that God takes care of us. And In fact, we just talked a few weeks ago about how God takes care of the birds, God takes care of the flowers, and we know that God will take care of us. But the problem is we grow way too familiar with this concept. Before we dive into what Jesus is actually telling us to ask, let me remind you of this key thing. God doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't owe us anything at all, ever. So as we look at this, you need to understand that that, that God's grace is so much bigger than you and I could ever imagine. Do you really grasp that God owes you nothing? See, many of you have been in church for years. You know that God's over everything. You're, You're supposed to serve and you're supposed to honor him. But really slow down this morning and think about the fact that he owes you nothing. See, there's a part of us that, especially those of us who've been in church for a while, we start thinking, well, I, you know, it's kind of like, how many of you guys have ever tried to diet and exercise to lose weight? 
right? Like I ate the green crunchy stuff, I drank the clear stuff, and I got on the treadmill and I did the stuff. So this is supposed to go away, right? Like, you know, I'm doing my part, so now it's, you're supposed to do your part. You've heard the adage that is attributed to Ben Franklin that said, God helps those who help themselves, right? Okay, first off, let me go ahead and clearly tell you that is not in Scripture anywhere, period, okay? That, that's a, that's, Benjamin Franklin was the guy who said that, not Jesus. God, it's not how it works, But you and I have this idea that if I serve God enough, if I try enough, if I do enough good things, then surely God's going to be happy with me and and God's going to come through for me. But guys, realize that God never owes you anything. Great, watch your language. Don't say what you're not supposed to say. Do say what you are supposed to say. Do the things that you're supposed to to honor God, to act like you're a part of his kingdom and honor him that way. But don't think that that means that God owes you anything. Think about creation itself. Here's how Paul describes Jesus and his relationship to creation. Talking about Jesus in Colossians chapter 1, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The God that we are serving, the God who's talking to us through his word this morning, the God who said that we're supposed to ask and seek and knock, is the God who created everything everything by speaking it into existence. And the God in whom all things hold together right now. What's outside the realm of all things? Only God. Everything else is something that God is holding together right now. Now, some of you guys are a lot smarter than I am, and you've gone a lot further into chemistry and physics and things than I have, so you can start talking more about subatomic particles and the forces that hold subatomic particles, and, and you can go layer after layer down. But you know what? Eventually, we'll never as humans be able to get down to the very bottom of what holds matter together because it's God himself holding matter together. Even if we can identify all the forces, all the electrical charges, everything we think that holds it, the one who orders all of this system, the one who's in charge of all of it, is the God of the universe. He owes you nothing. You owe him everything. Who on earth are you that you think that the God who created heaven and earth and everything in them, who holds all things together, why do you think that that God owes you anything? What could you possibly do? How could you possibly act or serve? By the way, I realized that I printed my message a little differently this week, and my pages are all out of order. So if you see me flipping through a little bit, um, we'll get there. It did not print like it was supposed to. (laughs) All right. The reality is, and this is key proof of it, right? Whenever I think that I'm something, and I think that I've got my act together, I'm reminded of just how good God is and how dumb I am, right? I see God exalted as the God of the universe, and that's what makes this so incredible. You and I, in and of ourselves, have no right to ask God for anything because he's the God who created the universe for crying out loud. He sustains us. He gives us breath and life. We don't have any place to come and ask him for anything else, but here's what Jesus told us to do. To come to him to ask, to seek. And a knock. Although you and I have no right in and of ourselves to ask God for anything, what does Jesus say? 
If we ask, he'll give us what we need. If we seek God, he'll let us find him. And if we knock to gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven, he lets us in. Let that soak for a minute, guys. How many of you guys could drive to Richmond and walk in the governor's mansion and be like, hey, Governor Northup, I need you to do this for me. Hey, Ralphie boy, right? You can't do that. You guys can't drive to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and say, hey, President Trump, you got a minute? You can't do that. But Jesus is saying that as a kingdom citizen, you have the right to go to the creator of God. And not just the right. You have the expectation and command to go to the God of the universe and ask and seek and knock. And because he is so good, he gives us what we need. If that doesn't fill you with awe, then I would challenge you to take a good hard look at yourself. Because you've grown too familiar with who God is. I love that our modern worship songs often help us realize the closeness of our relationship with God. But there are times when when some of the songs get a little too familiar. And our our team does a great job of avoiding most of that. Because we want to make sure that we also recognize that he is the God in heaven. He is the one, as the songs that we were singing this morning, he's the one who stops the the seas and the winds and the waves. He's the one who's over all of creation. And we want to exalt him as such. And he allows us to come into his presence. So cool. You just told me that I can ask, seek, and knock, and God's going to give me whatever I ask for. So God's like a, a giant Santa Claus, right? Like, I, I mean, he didn't even have to quarantine because he's old, right? Because isn't Santa going to have to, like, go on lockdown this year because he's, you know, old and susceptible? Okay. God doesn't have to do that. He's God. So, so God's just like a vending machine, and I can come to him, and, and if, I'm, you know, if, if I'm square with Jesus, I can just come up and say, God, I need this, and God, I need this. Now, think about what Jesus has already said. Remember, I've, I've told you, Context matters, okay? The context of a verse, you can't just take a verse out of what's around it. You've got to look at what we've already seen. Think back to what Jesus has told us. What are we supposed to be asking for? Well, we just spent a lot of weeks looking at it, so I hope somebody figured it out, right? Flip back a page probably in your Bible. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. What's Jesus told us that we're supposed to ask for? For our daily bread. For God's name to be renowned as holy. For God to be exalted. His kingdom to be expanded. For forgiveness. We're supposed to ask and it'll be given to us. You and I don't deserve to be forgiven. Guys, listen. I've been saved for a number of years. I got saved when I was nine years old. I've been a pastor for almost a decade now here at this church, served in ministry a bunch of places. This morning, I, God woke me up early. I'm not, I'm not one of these like I wake up at 4 a.m. and have six-hour quiet times. I, this is, that's not me. But God woke me up early this morning, and I spent time with him. And as I asked him to search my heart and help me to see where there's sin, for five straight minutes, almost in a sentence after another, not even like an explanation or paragraph, just God forgive me for this, 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 for like five solid minutes. 
I ought to know better. I ought to be better. I'm a pastor for crying out loud. I don't deserve for God to forgive me. But he says, ask, and it will be given to you. Guys, do you see how beautiful that is? That means that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's taking place, God loves you so much. The God of the universe, not just some little tiny God that we shaped out of clay or out of stone or out of wood. No, the God of the universe loves you so much that he would die in your place. That's why we've got crosses all around the building and things like that to remind us of the fact that he loved us so much that he would take my brokenness and die in my place and be raised from the dead to offer me his life and now as he sits enthroned as the Lord over all creation, my boss, my leader, my guide, he says, because of what I've done, you can come to me and you can ask for forgiveness. You can ask for strength. You can ask for help and you'll find it. You're not going to get turned away. What's he tell us that we're supposed to seek? Well, a couple of weeks ago, we saw it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. We're not seeking our own notoriety. We're not seeking our own fame or our own comfort. Instead, we're seeking God and God alone. We're seeking his kingdom. In other words, to make God famous. And we're seeking his righteousness that we would act and live out what he says is right. And avoid what he says is wrong. We're to seek that first. He says, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. We're going to see that more over the next few weeks when he starts talking about how to get into the kingdom of God. We've talked a lot about what life is like for those who are in the kingdom. We're going to start seeing next week what it takes to get in where he says there's a wide, broad road that leads to destruction. There's a narrow gate and a narrow path leads to eternal life. But you knock on that door. You come to him and say, God, I can't do this. God, I, I can't live life on my own. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. I need you to save me. I need you to be in charge. I need you to lead me. When you knock on that door, it will be open. We don't deserve that. But because God is so good, he does that for us. Yeah, but Sean, how can I know? Like, how can I know that God will do this? How how can I trust that that God will, will actually meet my needs, that if I ask, that I seek, that if I knock, that he'll actually provide those things for me? How can I know Because God's a better dad than any of the rest of us. Look at verse 9. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? You guys ever seen rocks that look like bread? Have you ever been down near a river, you know, and you got these big stones that have been smoothed out by the river, you know, that kind of stuff? Sometimes they're kind of like loaf-shaped. So can you imagine being such a cruel dad that when your son is hungry, he comes to you and says, Dad, I need something to eat. And you say, here, buddy, have a a piece of bread. And he grabs a rock and breaks his teeth on it. You don't do that. He says, how many of you fathers wouldn't just do that? He said, 
If he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. They have fish in those areas that look kind of like eels. If your kid asks for a fish, are you going to give him a snake in its place? No. And I'm not talking about going to the pet store and getting him a fish or a snake. I'm talking about to eat. You're not going to do that. Loving heavenly or loving earthly fathers, even if you're like, even halfway good dads don't do this. Now, I know some of you did not have a good relationship with your father. And for, so for some of you, this is really, really hard for you to believe. But what you need to understand is all the times that the Bible refers to God as our father, he is an infinitely better father than your dad ever was. Even if he had a good one. I've got a great dad. He stopped by the house yesterday, and I had so much fun talking with him. And my dad has always bent over backwards to make sure that we had everything that we needed. And by him loving me that way, it's easy for me to see that my heavenly father would give good gifts to his children. That may be hard for you, though. That may be really difficult for you to wrap your mind around because your dad was such a loser. But the reality is your heavenly father loves you so much that just like your dad should have taken care of your needs, if your earthly dad, who he says, if you being evil can still do that, guys, we're all sinful. We're all selfish. You know, you might be tempted to give your kid a rock instead of bread as a joke, right? And then you realize how they didn't take that well. You guys ever had that moment as a dad where you tried to do something you thought would be funny and it did not go well? Yeah. Or you're, you know, enjoying creating a family memory in the backyard, throwing Frisbee, and you end up smacking your daughter in the face with the Frisbee, and she still has not let you live it down when she was like six. Sarah. <laughs> As earthly dads, we mess up all the time. No matter how good we are, no matter how hard we try, we are failures a lot of days. But Jesus says, when you come to your loving heavenly father who loved you so much to give his own son to die in your place, to rescue you and ransom you, when you come to him and ask him for bread, he's gonna give it to you. He's gonna meet your needs because he loves you so much better than any earthly dad ever could. You know, as you look through this, it's kind of interesting. This Remember how I said that Jesus is starting to review different themes that he's brought up during the Sermon on the Mount? Well, this is one of them. Let's think about all that Jesus has told us about the Father so far. In chapter 6, verses 4, 6, and 18, we see that he is the one who sees what's done in secret and rewards us. 6, 8 says that he's the one who knows what I need before I ask him. 6, 11 said he's the one who gives us our daily bread. 6.16 is the one who feeds the birds so that they don't go hungry. 6.30, he's the one who clothes the flowers so that they look beautiful. So this God who gives us our daily bread, who takes care of the birds, who takes care of the flowers, the God who sees what's done in secret and rewards us, he's the loving father who we come to and say, God, I need you to ask, to seek, and knock. He's not stingy. That's why James would say in James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who doesn't change like shifting shadows. Every good thing in your life is a gift from God. Every good thing, whether you recognize it or not, is a gift from God. 
Like I said, he's not stingy at all. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8 says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. James chapter 1, verse 5, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. I've used the illustration before from the old DuckTales cartoon of Scrooge McDuck with his giant vault of gold coins. If you guys remember that cartoon, he had a diving board where he'd dive off into his, his gold coins and he'd swim and he'd do the backstroke and then he'd like spit the water out, but it was all gold coins. That's the picture in my mind when it says that God, according to his riches in glory, has done these things. The God who gives generously and without reproach. Some of you, you could never ask your parents for things because they would chastise you and they'd jump all over your case and say, why in the world you bother me about that? That's not how God is. God doesn't say, you should have figured this out by now and, and you, you don't need me to tell you this. You got it. No, God says, you come to him and ask him for wisdom. He gives generously and without reproach. Ask, seek, and knock, and it will be given to you. The one who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. God is incredibly generous to us. Now, he doesn't stop there, though. Not only is God generous to us, he expects generosity from us. God expects us to be generous towards others. Look back at verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Okay? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Many of you guys are familiar. You grew up learning it the King James way, which is do unto others as they would have them do unto you, right? The idea is... However you want people to treat you, treat them that way. This has been called the golden rule because in many ways, it summarizes the key ethic of Christianity, of treating others the way that God has treated us and the way that we would expect to be treated. So as you look through the summary of it, did you notice that there's that first word there in verse 12? What that first word in verse 12 is? Therefore, okay? Now, anytime, I want you to memorize this little statement, anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you have to ask, what's the therefore therefore? Therefore is a word that always looks back at what's already been said in the context before it. So before he tells us that we're to treat others like we would want them to treat us, he says, therefore, in light of what we've just talked about, treat others the way that you would want to be treated. What have we just talked about? God's generous to us. So in light of the way that God has treated you, you need to treat others the same. Therefore, as it's looking back, explains that in light of God's kindness and generosity, we're supposed to extend kindness, generosity, grace, forgiveness, love to others. That's why John would write in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, love consists in this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. There's the expectation throughout all of the New Testament that because God has loved you, you are called to love others the same way. By the way, this again loops back and picks up a theme we've already seen. Go back to chapter 7, verse 1. 
don't judge so that you won't be judged. Verse 2, so that, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. You'll be measured by the same measure you use with others. There's this idea as a kingdom citizen, I'm not living life on my own. Instead, I'm living life in community with other believers and as an ambassador to those who don't yet know Christ. The way I judge them, the standard I use to judge them is the standard that is used against me. The way I treat them is what I would expect others to do for me or that I would want others to do for me. In fact, that's actually a really key point. Let's slow down and hit that again. Go back and read verse 12. Whatever you want others to do for you, do the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, notice there's kind of an interesting part in this. He says, whatever you would expect them to do, or want them to do, excuse me, not expect. Got to find it, sorry. As we're looking at it, we have this problem of getting to the point where we expect to be treated a certain way, right? Now, I'm not telling you that you should be a doormat and that you should let people walk all over you. But Jesus is teaching us that we need to treat others the way we would want them to treat us. Newsflash, people don't always treat you the way that you would want them to treat you, right? So does that free me from having to to treat them like I would want them to treat me if they're treating me bad? Not at all. It does not free me from the responsibility. My responsibility is to be generous based off of what God has done for me. Therefore, in light of God's graciousness, in light of God's goodness as a loving father who gives good gifts to his children, I'm supposed to make sure that I, in light of God's goodness, treat others the same way that I want them to treat me, regardless of how they actually behave towards me. You don't get a buy as a Christian to treat other people like jerks if they've been jerks to you. I heard a pastor refer to it recently talking about all the conflict and all the frustration and all the the hatred and the fear and things that are going on. He talked about it from the perspective of us being like a circuit breaker. I replaced a thermostat in one of our bedrooms recently, and I got the wires wrong. And when I did, as soon as I would go downstairs and turn the breaker on, it would turn it right back off. And I'd turn it back on, and it'd turn it back off. And I went upstairs, and I moved some wires around. I turned it back on. <laughs> yeah, the electricians in the room were like, oh, call me before you do this again. Yeah, I fried the thermostat because what was happening was every time I did something to it, I was putting current in the wrong place, and it said, nope, let's not do that so you don't burn down the house. I appreciated that. Our job in the world right now is to be that kind of circuit breaker. Everybody's overloaded. You know how like crazy everybody gets at Christmas when you're walking around Walmart and people are like just really on edge because they've got to get the Christmas shopping done, they've got to get the baking done for the thing. And well, we've already like we're already there and we're not even close to Christmas yet, right? People are gonna go off on you. Your wife, your husband, your kids. Guys, if you've got kids in school, the stress that they're under is ridiculous. The, the having to figure out how do I learn virtually, how do I do during these tests. How, so when somebody snaps at you, you don't get to snap back. No matter how good your wit may be and how razor sharp your tongue, 
the kingdom of God says you're supposed to treat them the way you would want them to treat you, even if they don't. Why? Because that's what God has done for us. See, that's what this all comes back to. You and I were dead in our sins. We were separated from God. We were completely without hope. And yet God in his grace and in his generosity sent Jesus to die for me and to be raised so that I could have new life as I follow him. So when I ask him to save me, I receive his gift of salvation. I'm adopted into his family. The door of the kingdom is open to me because of Jesus, not because of us, and I can enter in. And like I said, I still fall short. I still fail. Yet God in his grace and his mercy still, every time I ask, I seek, and I knock, God gives, he lets me find him, and he opens the door. Every single time. If that's how God treats me, and I need to treat others the way that I would want them to treat me, which is just like God treats me. That's why Paul told husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's why we're called to keep no record of wrongs, like 1 Corinthians 13 says. That's why we say that the kingdom of God is marked by generosity. So what do you need to do in response to this message this morning? First off, if you've never entered into the kingdom of God, you can today. If you've never come into a relationship with him, and by the way, that doesn't mean like we've got some secret Stargate kind of portal in the back and we're going to you know, kind of do the Doctor Strange thing you know, and open the thing up and you're going to walk into the kingdom of God and all of a sudden be transported somewhere else. That would be really cool if that's how heaven worked, but unfortunately it's not. What that means, though, is just like moving to another country, you're moving from the way you used to live life following you as your king, your boss, your leader, your guide, to turn to following Jesus as your Lord. You're you're stop doing what you can do and turn to trusting in what he has already done for you, and then you're going to start living like what he's already lived out for you. We've said it over and over again. If you need to enter into his kingdom, all you have to do is ask, God, I need you. I need you to save me. I need you to forgive my sin. I need you to draw me to yourself, and I need to follow you. Seek his face. Knock, and it will be open to you. So if you're here and you've never made that decision, in just a minute, what we're going to do, and don't do it right now, but in just a minute, I'm just going to have everybody have a, a moment to respond. So I'll just have everybody with their head bowed and eyes closed. Don't do it yet. But when we're doing that, that's a great time for you just to express back to God what's going on in your heart. And then after the service is over, I'd love to talk with you more about that. And if you still have questions about that or you don't know yet for sure where you are on that, please stop and talk to me. I would love nothing more than to help you to find the kingdom of God today, okay? But if you're here today, and and probably most of you here or, or many of you here and many of you listening and watching online, if you know Jesus, you're like, cool, I'm already in the kingdom. My challenge to you is twofold. First, recapture, allow God to search your heart, break you again to recapture the beauty and the majesty of God's generosity to you. See, some of you have stopped asking God for anything. You're saved, but life is just life. You're just going through. 
So today, I'd encourage you to start asking and seeking and knocking again. Can't help but think of the the great missionary of times gone by, William. Um, oh, I just blanked. William Carey. I was going to say Barclay, but he was a commentator. He wasn't a missionary. William Carey was known for saying, attempt great things for God, believe great things from God, right? Or was, I've butchered that. Believe great things, attempt great things, okay? Maybe that's you. You've lost it. You've lost sight of who God is. You've lost sight of his generosity. So you're not asking for God to, to move, to save people through you, to, to draw you closer to himself, to, to help you to overcome the sinful pattern, the sinful habit, whatever it is. Rest in the generosity of God and ask, seek, and knock again. And then the other challenge for those of us who know him is, God, would you help me to be as generous to others as you have been to me? God, would you help me give my time, yes, my money, if that's what it takes, my, my patience, my listening ear, my, I can't think of a better word for it, but forbearance, my putting up with others as they come to know Jesus so that I can be generous to others and treat them the way that I would like them to treat me, whether they do or not. Because see, let's bring it full circle. They may never treat you the way that they're supposed to, but your Father in heaven sees what's in secret and he will reward you, just like we've seen all through chapter 6.